0: year-by-year look at history of American football takes us to the 1933 college football season. We dive into the top teams, the rules revision of the season, and find out who the national champion was determined by the experts. We have this and more coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore, Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pig Pen, your portal to positive football history. And welcome to another edition of our series on our look of football year by year football history. We are part number 72. We are in the 1933 college football season. And before we get to that, let's make sure that you are aware of our newsletter comes out each and every day about 630am delivered for free into your email inbox. It's really easy to sign up for go to the show notes of this podcast or the top of Pigskin Dispatch and sign up for that email newsletter. You'll know everything that's going on for the day and more, and uh, it's totally free. You can cancel at any time. So make sure you check that out and uh, let us know. Give us your feedback. PigskinDispatch at gmail.com. Now, the 1933 season and had a big football rule revision, and just one, and it was very simple, but it was very important. It was a field marking change that uh, Had been done because of some data that had been collected over time, representing that an average of 14 plays per game were wasted by offenses in that era prior to 1933, where they had to move to better field position on the field when the previous play had finished beyond or near the sideline. Now, a prior rule stated that the ball would be spotted at the point it became dead on the previous play. So, For instance, a play that finished with the ball carrier going out of bounds, as we know today, uh, the center would be snapping the ball very close to the sideline. As a matter of fact, the center might be the closest player to the sideline. All the rest of the linemen had to end up towards the center of the field of him. So it sort of limited the options of what the offense could do, uh, gave the offense a disadvantage because the defense knew which way the play was going to be going probably not going to be going up the middle because up the middle was at the sideline. So they had to go towards the center of the field, uh, one way or the other, depending on where the sideline was running away from the sideline and, uh, shut that down. And they would have to waste a play to do that. Not a great thing to make uh, good football because we know with good football, people love scoring and love seeing the ball being moved, uh, for the most part. And, uh, they had to do that to, to get rid of those 14 plays. So to correct this, uh, phenomenon that was happening the rules committee of the ncaa decided that the ball would be moved to the hash mark for any dead ball between the mark and the sideline or out of bounds play so that's what we have today the ball goes out of bounds they bring it to the nearest hash mark to that sideline that's commonplace and we're used to it well the rule started Back in 1933, 90 years ago. And uh, we can thank that rule book and those uh, innovative rules makers from that 1933 season for doing that for us. Now, in the college football realm, the Dickinson system was still the go to system for saying who they thought was the national champion. It was the prominent way of determining a national champion in college football in 1933. And they did this right before the season ended. It was not in bowl season there was only a couple bowl games going on at that time the rose bowl being one of them Uh, but they happened to look at this Dickinson system, which is a formula of taking wins, losses, points scored, yada, yada, yada. And the team that would receive that coveted Newt Rockney Memorial Trophy in 1933, and that would be the Michigan Wolverines, who were the Newt repeat winners uh, with their stellar 7-0-1 record. Now, the tie was against an undefeated Minnesota Golden Gophers team with about as many ties as they had wins that year. So they weren't eligible because they were 4-0-4. Four wins, zero losses, four ties, one of those being in Michigan. So definitely Michigan steps over them uh, for that with the Dickinson. The Dickinson system was not the most trusted or accurate way to look back to find the top team in the country, though. Now, we saw that in the previous season. Though the Wolverines were the top points getters in Dickinson, the reflection of the experts to trying to determine a retro look at the rankings and national champions, gave the nod to the, in 1932 to the USC Trojans, who ended up going into the Rose Bowl, played the Pitt Panthers, because Michigan was not allowed to go there by the Big uh, Ten or Big Nine rules. They weren't allowed to play in that postseason, and USC killed the Pitt Panthers. They ended up getting the number one ranking uh, if, by people looking at it retroactively including, you know, many people like, uh, you know, the Holgate system and the college football national championship series systems, and all these other uh, kinds of uh, experts that looked at that Helms system. So in Michigan in 1933, though, they were a legitimate contender for the crown after so many seasons in the previous three decades that they were in distant seconds to more logical choices like USC in 1932. Once again though, the Big Nine's staunch position did not permit its teams to play in the postseason. So the Wolverines could not accept a bid to the Rose Bowl again that year. This created an opportunity for a new team from the East to head to Pasadena at New Year's. Now we discussed this at length Back in our special Rose Bowl series where we had 40 days of Rose Bowl history. And it was the Columbia Lions who would go to the 1934 Rose Bowl and earn a very rare treat of traveling to Pasadena from the east to play against a very strong Stanford Indians program. Now, Stanford was undefeated. Well, the Lions had suffered a single loss on the season to rival Fritz Chrysler's Princeton Tigers. That's right. Fritz Chrysler was with Princeton at this point in time. Now, the Tigers declined the postseason game invite to keep the school's focus on academia over athletics. Now, Columbia, as underdogs, put together a bold defensive scheme under the direction of coach Lou Little, and on a rain-soaked field, knocked off the Indians of Stanford by the score of seven to nothing. Uh, we have more details of that. You can follow the links on the podcast or I'm sorry on the website pigskindispatch.com, for this 1933 college football season. follow the links to the show notes to get to that. And uh, we have a, also a nice little video on YouTube about the Rose Bowl win of the Columbia Lions with some footage from the day, which is kind of rare and kind of interesting. So make sure you check those out. Now the rest of the 1933 college football season unfolded. Now Jock Sutherland's Pitt Panthers were riding high once again in 1933. After that big loss that they had to USC, we mentioned earlier. Now Pittsburgh rattled off an impressive wins against an eight and one Nebraska team by the score of six nothing. Then blanked Duquesne, who was ten and one on a year, by a score of seven and nothing as well. And then, but the Panthers' downfall was that they were upset by the score of three to seven to the hands of Minnesota's Golden Gophers, which we told you before was 4-0-4. Now the Nebraska Cornhuskers, who the Panthers beat, uh, they were a powerhouse and overcame almost everybody they faced except for that loss to Pitt, 6-0. The Huskers' other games were the close variety in 1933, where when they defeated a couple of top teams, uh, 5-3 Iowa by a close score of 7-6, to and the 6-2-2 and Oregon State Beavers, who they Nebraska beat by the score of twenty-two to nothing? Of course, the Princeton Tigers were nine and zero on the season, including the previously mentioned Columbia game, uh, where they you know they had beaten Columbia. And Fritz Chrysler's Princeton Eleven dismantled a very good Columbia squad by the score of twenty to nothing that year, uh, and that was the only Lions setback they had. So Princeton is definitely in the contention. And the Tigers shut out seven of nine opponents on the season and outscored all opponents by a score of 217-8. to And the eight points were surrendered over the final two games as Rutgers managed six in Princeton against Princeton and on November 25th. And the Yale Bulldogs pinned a safety on Princeton in the Yale Bowl in the season finale the next week on December 2nd. So it's very interesting. Fritz Chrysler who's known as a Michigan coach. He was coaching at Princeton at the time. Michigan is the top team. Well, these two teams are, you know, it's kind of debated retroactively who is number one for that 1933 year. And I think we'll call this one sort of a draw and Princeton and Michigan both share it. And Fritz Chrysler, you know, has the ties to both of them. So, so it's very compelling story indeed for this 1933 season, and boy, what a season it was. And we are so glad that you were able to join us for this History Rewind segment, Football History Rewind, part number 72 on the 1933 college football season. So our next time that we come back with Football History Rewind Part number 73, of course, it will be the professional season of 1933. And, boy, we can't wait for that. We'll go over some of the rules revisions and some of the great play and best teams in pro football. So until next time, everybody, have a great Gridiron Day. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast.